Slash Hale, and welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat a dead horse 1d6 damage at a time. Today, we gird ourselves for battle with a tabletop version of a game so virulently immoral that it was banned from play in Brazil. We're diving into the world of D20 EverQuest, and since neither John or I knows thing one about the original game, we've hauled in an expert. For the first time ever, we're joined by a guest host, Russ. Let's get to it. Okay, welcome back. Today we're talking EverQuest D20. Uh, that means this is our first chance to really dive in and talk about 3rd uh, Edition and the open gaming license and all the fun things people made with it. Oh, oh yeah, this yeah. was the uh, the White Wolf version, the Sword and Sorcery, which... Yeah, that was their imprint in yeah. the uh, in the 90s. They had their own imprint. They, they actually managed to get the license for a Ravenloft as well. Assholes. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, John, how are you today? I'm doing great. I am. Uh, I'm. I'm super excited about this because uh, I, I, I hate both EverQuest and Third Edition. So this is this is a great perfect storm <laughs> of bullshit for me. And uh, we, we're joined today by our by our new buddy, our buddy and guest host Russ. How you doing? Good, good, good. Russ is an actual expert in EverQuest and used to play it to extremes. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I would call myself an expert, but I did play a lot uh, from original release all the way through the Shadows of Auckland expansion. So. Did you did you need people to see your whereas? I I did indeed. Can you tell me what the cave was where everyone hawked their whereas? Oh, that was uh, gosh, where was that? That was right outside of Freeport. Yeah, there was a big tunnel that led down to the Oasis of Mar, and you said by either the first torch or the second torch, and yeah, yeah, see this guy, you know, people could find you and try to (laughs) scam you out of your flowing black silk sash and try to trade you a cloth belt instead. What about the what, what was the moss cloak? What was the moss cloak? Uh, the moss cloak. I think you're talking about the vest, the fungi tunic? Yeah, maybe that's it. I yeah. don't know. There was some bullshit with so the fungi uh, tunic stuff on it. Basically, in the original EverQuest, there was not really a way to get your resources back, per se. <laughs> so, you know, if you didn't have somebody around to heal you, your health regenerated, but it was a very slow process. And, you know, eventually, as a spellcaster, you got the meditate skill, but it took forever to get your mana back. Yes. So the flying black, or the, not the flying black, the, uh, the fungi tunic actually had health regen built into it. So it was... Uh, it was a big goddamn deal. Yeah. So this game, if you've played any third edition Dungeons and Dragons, you're probably familiar with the super basics. You've got the classes, uh, you've got multi-classing, you've got races that get a plus two to one stat and a minus two to a different stat. Uh, that's your basic third edition. This throws most of that out the window. Uh, there's yeah. classes and races. It's got all the same stuff. I mean, you've got races, classes, spell lists, the things that you would see in third edition, but it goes off the goddamn rails. It goes, <laughs> it, it goes deep. Uh, my, I think my first favorite thing about this, it's got 14 races in it. Uh, I don't even want to try and name them all, but they're all the races that you could play in the original EverQuest with stat spreads that are just bonkers. I mean, like a troll's got a plus 6, a minus 6, a plus 4, a minus 4, a plus 2, and a minus 2. And you probably shouldn't play one because it says right in there that everyone's going to try and kill you forever. Oh, yeah. No, there are, there are faction-based reactions that you'll get with people so if you're like a troll or an ogre or an Ixar, which is their lizard man equivalent, then everyone fucking hates you forever. Also, the game even says you're just evil. Yeah, that's that's I love that kind of old school uh, role playing structure where it's just like if you're playing this, you're evil. You have to play evil. Hopefully, it's an evil party. Yeah, it's just 
Oh, did you want to play a troll? Well, I guess you want to eat the halfling in the party all the time, and that's going to be a running thing with you. That's yeah, which is which is actually kind of true to life for the original game. I mean, if you started as a troll or an ogre, you were in your little troll or ogre town with your starting little jungle, and if you went any farther from there, all of the civilized areas of the game were essentially off-limits to you. This I know, because I made a female ogre at one point, because I thought that was hilarious, and I tried to get to Freeport to where everyone sold things, and was immediately killed by everything. And lost all your gear. Yep, and then I no longer played that character. So, now, did ogres and trolls actually have that XP penalty that's... They did, actually, and it was it was pretty severe. There were XP penalties not only for your race, but for your class. Um, Different classes had XP penalties as well. Oh, well, they've um, done away with that in here. Yeah, the, you've still got uh, Barbarian has a 5% penalty, Ixar is 15%, and Ogre and Troll are 20%. Yeah, ogre, Ogres and Trolls were by far the, the strongest initial races. They had uh, significant bonuses to their durability and strength and stuff. So in a game where you didn't have a lot of access to powering up your character for a very, very long time, some of those initial decisions were, were pretty beneficial. But what that meant moving forward is that you had a long, arduous grind of working up your faction to <laughs> get to the point where you could go anywhere. Now, in modern terms, faction is basically rep. It's You had to rep up with everybody to get your reputation high enough that they wouldn't kill you. You'd move from hated to, to simply being unliked. Yeah. Well, there, you weren't kill on hostile, sight. Yeah, it was, yeah. Hostile was... Hostile was kill on sight, and then threatening was if you looked at them funny, they would kill you, and then it kind of moved up from there. And... Right. Now, there there are also 15 classes in this game. Yes. Now, of the 15 classes, three of them are not spellcaster classes. Uh, that would be monks and warriors and rogues. rogues, and that's it. And in true 3rd edition fashion, those classes are a page long. That's everything you oh, need yeah. to know is, is on the first page. And then you've got uh, all the... Hybrid classes, and a whole bunch of, of straight caster classes. There are quite a few. Yeah. So, uh, you get, you know, like your enchanter or your mage or what have you, and that's straight caster. And the weird thing in this, most people who had played 3rd edition, uh, you'd think you go up to level 20. That's sort of the baseline for D&D. Uh, and this you go up to 30. Mm-hmm. So your spell levels go up to level 15 instead of stopping at 9. Right. On the uh, other unless hand... Unless you are a hybrid, and unless, yeah. then you stop at 12. Yes. But on the other hand, the spells aren't as bullshit. And I think that's a, a good early thing to talk about in this book, is that at, we're used to 3rd edition being... What's this? It's the realm of, of caster supremacy. And this book's really no different. Casters are still way better, because they've got all kinds of spells and mana and all kinds of cool shit that they can do. And they actually own about three quarters of the book, in terms of real estate of what they have in it. Uh, but... Because it's a mana system, because, and because it's being copied over from an MMO, there's no wish, there's no rope trick, there's no, uh, you know, wall of salt that, that you can then piece up and sell. Oh, yeah. It, none no, of that. Everything it's is just damage. I, yeah. I yeah. throw an icicle at a dude, or maybe I teleport us to somewhere else. It's so recognizable as an MMO that it's hilarious. Like, at level one, you can throw an icicle at a dude. At level two, you can throw a level two icicle at a dude. <laughs> it, it's, 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 uh, honestly, for as boring as that sounds, it's a lot better and smoother of a play experience when it comes to the caster kind of progression. Because you know what your spells are going to do at each level, and there isn't any spell that they clearly didn't think about when they were writing it that kind of breaks the game. Well, yeah. well yeah. I mean, the caster the caster roles were pretty narrow in the original EverQuest. Yeah. And, you know, you, you had... Each, each caster kind of did one or two things that were unique, and then apart from that, you just did damage. So, you know, if you're a wizard, you could teleport people. If you're a magician, you could... 
summon them to you. If you're a necromancer, you could uh, summon their corpse around. You know, Enchantress had the whole mana regen thing, which was pretty integral. Um, but apart from that, it was pretty much damage. Right, right. And that's one of the things in here, like, if you're playing uh, an enchanter, and like he said, enchanters were ma- mostly there to do sort of CC, kind of mez things, make sure shit didn't go insane. But even then, like, high-end enchanter spells in this book still do a grip of damage. And when I say that, it also is super swingy. We talked about the the times ten thing when we were discussing uh, rifts. Yeah, any any palladium system's got a lot of d six or two d six times ten. Yeah, that this, actually makes an appearance here. Yeah, this is uh, like really high end things will be like you do four d ten times ten damage, so you might do forty or you might just kill a mob outright. Yeah, it's it's very swingy, which means it's very hard to predict. And again, that, that's the difference between casters and, and warrior types in this game, because the warrior, even the high-end warrior abilities are just, you get more of your uh, generic attacks, as opposed to one big attack that does a crazy amount of damage. Uh, there's a cool rogue ability you can pick up at the high end that lets you double all of your damage output for two rounds, which is impressive, but again, it's predictable. It doesn't have a swinginess to it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's just times two of whatever you were doing, so if you were, you know, hitting for 30, then you're just doing 60. We all know what it's going to do. Right. There's also a taunt mechanic in here. Uh, this is this is one of my favorite things to have found in this book, because that is a huge point of contention between people who are big fans of the old 3rd edition games and people who are big fans of the 4th edition stuff, is that this, this game, being, you know, tabletop EverQuest... Uh, has taunt in it. Now it sucks. It's, oh, it is. It's, awful. It's, uh, it's it's very it's filtered through a lens of third edition. Well, don't worry. It's uh, it sucked in the game. Too. <laughs> Did it really? Cause, okay, because <laughs> let me just break down how taunt works. First of all, warriors get it as a bonus ability, and they get a small bonus to it, a competence bonus to their ability to taunt. And it's it works just like an old third edition skill, which means you roll a d twenty and add your competence value and your stat value. The stat for taunt is charisma. Yeah, so, you know, just like warriors want to have lots of charisma. So so fuck fighters for some reason. Uh, And then there, after that, it's all penalties. Uh, Does it speak the same language as you? No? Minus five. Is it an animal? An additional minus five. (laughs) Is it already attacking someone else? Minus ten. Would it it be stupid for it to stop what it's doing and come attack you? Minus ten. Yeah. 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 uh, So it's it's not very well thought out, but on the other hand, it is an honest-to-God forcing the game to change around one player's action taunt mechanic. If the fighter gets his taunt off, warrior gets his taunt off, that mob, mob is going to turn around and come running over and beat on the fighter just the way he wanted. And and it doesn't have a duration listed. When you taunt something in here, it essentially stays taunted, which is really weird to me. Because normally the taunt mechanics you see in a lot of games are for X amount of rounds or until some yeah. uh, qualifier is hit. I have no idea how it worked in the original EverQuest. I assume it was a chance for something to come running over and attack you. Well, and this is where I wish I had my my dear friend and EverQuest guru, Casey, on hand, because that guy saw the code. But the basic mechanics of the aggro in the original EverQuest were based around damage, healing, like you might see in any MMO, and the taunt was basically just a flat value. So every time you hit the taunt, you added a certain amount to your taunt threshold, to your aggro threshold. Oh, okay. So it it was basically illusionary damage that you dealt. Right, exactly. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, you know, the, the, the classic joke for the original warrior in, in the original EverQuest was, you know, sip beer, hit taunt. Uh, because, it, like you said in the for the tabletop, there's only one page of stuff. In the original EverQuest, there was less than one page of stuff. You, you hit auto attack, you hit taunt, if it tried to cast a spell, you would kick it in the face, and that was about it. 
Nice. Okay. <laughs> so, it is notable that basically any class in the game can take taunt. It's just a skill. If it's in your skill list, you can take it. So bards can become excellent taunters in this. Monks make excellent taunters, which, based on the limited amount of experience I have with EverQuest, uh, which is all anecdotal, I tried playing it, <laughs> I tried playing it once for 20 minutes, and uh, right about the point where I got to a halfling who wanted to sell me any spell I could cast, I was like, nope, I'm done. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, go ahead. So my, but based on my anecdotal experience of the original EverQuest, a lot of it basically consisted of hanging around in a big empty plane full of monsters, and every once in a while you'd see a monk or a bard run by with fifty things chasing him. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that was my experience. Yeah, <laughs> the the concept of aggro leashing hadn't been well developed at that point because EverQuest is essentially the first MMO that existed in the paradigm of the classic MMO that we know today. Oh, yeah. You know, all, it, all making fun of it aside, it is groundbreaking. It really was. I mean, it was it was the first MMO to look like what we think of now as an MMO. So it was the first game to really introduce those concepts of aggro and those concepts of, you know, quest hubs and all that kind of, you know, good stuff. Before EverQuest, it was really, you know, you had Ultima Online, which is based in that world. And, and, and MUDs and Mushes. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. But um, So in terms of aggro leashing and, and stuff like that, you know, once you got past the point where you were just sitting and then brought up, brought up an area and eventually the bard would run back with a mob, you'd kill it. The bard would run back with a mob, you'd kill it. You know, once you get to raiding and stuff, you'd clear out a whole zone like that. Right. You know, so. Yeah. And uh, the the one thing that uh, I think is interesting with the, the way the classes are really working in, specifically in the tabletop version of this, is... They took a lot of the stuff that you had from the game and kind of balanced it out for most of the cast. Like, Shadow Knight was kind of some balls in the MMO, and then in this, he's actually a useful guy. Like, yeah. his spells scale in the same way that any other hybrid class scales, and yeah. he gets uh, class skills that are pretty much the same as anyone else's class skills would be. The Shadow Knight very much feels like it was written by two or three people. Uh, there's there's some issues. I mean, in the book, it look, it feels like it was written by two or three people, and I feel like it probably was the same in the game. Uh, it It's the anti-paladin, but on the other hand, it's also arcane instead of divine, the idea being that they have their own power instead of being reliant on someone else for power. But then you turn the page and you look at their, their uh, progression of abilities, and at level 7, their god gives them a horse. So, yeah. so they kind of just forgot... <laughs> about halfway through the design process that they well, had to... Yeah, the, uh, the hybrids in the the hybrids in the MMO were basically just warriors with stripped-down versions of cleric and necromancer tacked on. So, right. you know, a lot of the spell list was literally the same spells. You just got them nine levels later or 12 levels later or whatever it was. So Yeah, whereas you know, this has an, an individual spell list for literally every single class that can cast spells. They're, like in D&D, if you're a wizard or you're a sorcerer, you're all picking from the same list of spells... In this, if you're an enchanter or you're a mage, you have your mage spells, you have enchanter spells, and you do not share that shit. Right. Yep. And the reason that, that uh, Shadow Knights work a little better in the tabletop is because anyone who's played an MMO will tell you, and I've got no experience with EverQuest, but Lord knows I've played way too much World of Warcraft, uh, hybrids, unless they don't aren't actual hybrids, <laughs> are going to suck. Actual hybrids represent a completely different set of rules, like uh, druids in that game, which is, I'm a healer, but I can also switch to being a full tank. But when I'm a healer, I'm a full healer. Uh, the idea behind these old Shadow Knights was like, I'm a little bit of a fighter, and I'm a little bit of a spellcaster, and I'm not, I'm not good quite as good at either. Oh, well then, I guess we could just get one guy who does does twice your job in one roll. That yeah. would be better for us, wouldn't it? And, and you know, that's a problem that existed in 3rd edition D&D, &D too. <laughs> 
So it's yeah. neat that the book goes so far towards fixing it. <laughs> yeah, one of the things they do... Now, the, the difference is uh, everyone but the, the warrior, the rogue, and the monk have spells. So what do they get? They get disciplines. Disciplines. Starting at level, I think it's 20, you start getting disciplines. And the disciplines let you do things on a cooldown. It's a big so, cooldown. And it depends on what it is. It yeah. can be anywhere from 6 hours to 48 hours. Right. Which is a, a meaningless cooldown. It, that's it, In terms of game design or balance design, that's meaningless. Because you're not going to have a 6 hour fight. No. It, so, so, you're just going to rest. And yeah, you're just going to rest. And use it for the next battle. Well, yep. well, the big one is, for any of the ones that are 24 hours, you go... Okay, this is a daily ability, then. I can only use this once. But the big thing is, you get, uh, say, ten disciplines, but all of those disciplines, when you use one, you can't use any other discipline oh, yeah, they all until the cooldown. Right. And I, I, that's one of those places where I'm going to ask Russ if that's a... Was that a, an EverQuest thing? Yeah, I mean, I, d- I don't... It's been so long. I, I don't remember the disciplines that well, but they did introduce those. I don't remember if it was Runes of Canark or Scars of Valius, but they had... Really long cooldowns, and they did different things. Um, you know, they, we spoke a little bit before we started recording about the rogues cooldown where it doubled its damage. You know, stuff like that. So, um, and then if you if you picked one, you did that, it would put the rest of the disciplines on cooldown. Ah, all right. Um, so that is true to the game. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, but the the one problem is it it is it represents your essentially your spell like ability as one of these non casters, uh, but the casters are odd in that they got mana instead of the Vancian casting that you normally have in D&D, where you cast a spell and then you don't have that spell anymore. Uh, If you have a spell, and you can memorize up to eight, and only eight at a time, but you can cast as much as you want as long as you have the mana for it. Mm -hmm. Which means that it sort of reversed the roles here, where your non-casters, when they use their ability, that's their ability for the day and it's gone. Whereas the casters are like... I am consistently doing my spells over and over again. Right. It's weird that they decide... It, it's strange, because on the one hand, that sounds like they vastly bumped up mages, which or casters in general, which Lord knows 3rd edition did not need that. <laughs> but on the other hand, they changed the spell list so dramatically that I'm not really sure... I feel like it's almost a wash. Because if you gave mana to a 3rd edition wizard, you were just like, here, regular 3rd edition wizard, here's mana. He'd just be like, great, I can cast more wishes today. Yeah. Uh, or whatever unfair spell. Polymorph other. Whatever it was. There, there were a bunch of them. Uh, in this case, all he can do stone is skin. yeah, stone skin. All he can do is cast the spells that aren't game breaking because he doesn't really have any that are game breaking, and it'll work just fine. Whereas the disciplines actually did end up being fairly significant. I mean, uh, some obviously really some yeah. of them you need to be like twenty seven, twenty eight, or so on to get. But it was things like uh, plus twenty to your AC for like an entire combat yeah or you know the double damage yeah. or there yeah. was one that was you are literally invincible for like two rounds there's yeah. a monk one that i think is is interesting which is that it sets the the delay of your weapon to two and okay to get that to dial down what that does let's get back into how third edition used to work or still does yeah. lord knows pathfinder still exists so uh okay if you if you've played third edition D, you know about base attack bonus and attack progression where when you get to uh, four dots higher than your like you ha- a fighter at plus level six. yeah when he's plus six he picks up another attack that's at plus one when he's at plus twelve he picks up another attack that's at plus one and his old attack goes to plus six and he and so on it, and it's so on. it's how you build more attacks well this game loved that system for some or this book loved that system for some reason lord that that system is awful uh 
and it decided to add a bunch of extra rules to it. So it added the concept of weapon delays, which can increase the difference between the two, your first attack and your second attack, or decrease it, depending on if you have a fast or slow weapon, or if spells are being cast on you. Yeah. Which so means the... sometimes you're at plus 9, plus 5, plus 1 for your three attacks. Sometimes you're at plus 9, plus 7, plus 5, plus 3, plus 1. Which yeah. is actually a really, really interesting point that you bring that up, because in the original EverQuest, the weapon attack delay was a really interesting and important mechanic, which brings up a little EverQuest legend that I'll tell you guys right now, which is called the Moss-Covered Twig. Now, the mo- <laughs> the Moss-Covered Twig was a dagger uh, in the original EverQuest, and when it first went live in the game, there was a coding error. So instead of having a 1.7 attack delay, it had a 0.7 attack delay. So it was the highest DPS item in the game, pretty much, at that point. So uh, it became highly sought after, and of course, you know, MMO development is was nowhere near where it is today then, so the idea of hotfixing that item was a lot more challenging back then, so <laughs> it, it took some time, so it was a, a highly sought-after item for a while. Oh, that stuck around for a while. I remember in vanilla World of Warcraft, I, I had a pet spider on my hunter who had a uh, ridiculously <laughs> high attack delay, and we, we named him Die Mage Die. Because he, he would interrupt people's casts. And it was just because he had a broken attack speed. He was he didn't do any damage, but he kept interrupting because he was like, poke, 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 poke. Yeah, yeah. so the... Yeah. Uh, like we said, the base in 3rd uh, Edition or any of the various 3rd Edition-esque games was a standard 5. Yeah. So if you had... Once you got more than 5 of your base attack bonus, you would get another attack. Uh, this added in variable ones anywhere from... The minimum delay is seven. The minimum delay is two. You can't get below a delay of two, and even that you can only because no weapons with a delay of two. No, the weapons standard go four, five, or six, and to get to a seven or a two, you had to have some magical shenanigans going on. Yes. So there's a monk one that sets your delay to two, which is crazy. It's like a amped up dagger, no matter what weapon you're carrying. Uh, There is still a maximum number of attacks you're allowed to have. Yeah, you still get to five attacks total. Yes. You just have a, a better chance to hit with that last attack. So, uh, bards in this book are awesome. I, I Just so weird, because Bard is the worst 3rd edition class. And I have huge issues with 3rd edition. I'm just not even really a fan of it. I think it was poorly designed. I think it's got all kinds of balance errors. I played the hell out of it when it was available and immediately dropped it when it was when it had been replaced. Uh, and, and Bard was my favorite thing about it, even though it sucked. And then I'm looking at this book, I'm like, wow, Bards, they fixed them. They knew what was wrong, and they fixed them. <laughs> and, and the best thing is that they're basically just whatever quest Bards were. You could sing a bunch of spells at, or sing a bunch of songs at once. They're basically free. And the mechanic isn't really one about mana conservation. It's just about trying to keep all those spells active. Right. So, you know, the basic bard mechanic in the original EverQuest was you would activate a spell and it would have, I think it was a six-second duration. Um, but then as soon as you deactivated the spell, you could cast another song. So you had that six-second window where you could activate a second song and start that six-second cooldown. And then if you stop that spell and start a, a third song, you had maybe two seconds of your original six-second window where your first song would still be active, um, which was a, a technique called twisting. So you would activate a song and immediately cancel it, activate the second song, immediately cancel it, activate the third song, immediately cancel it, and then go back to the first one. You could have three songs active at once. Right. And this is, in the uh, in this book, it, it's incorporated. Now, I always thought twisting, because I'd heard about it, I always thought twisting was kind of an abuse of the game mechanics and, like, it wasn't an intended thing. 
but then this book's just like, no, that was the plan. You're supposed to be twisting your songs all the time. And it even calls it twisting, which is yeah. interesting me, to me that they incorporated player language into the actual game rules. Yeah, I'm really kind of hoping there's a second book out there called the EverQuest Complete Book of Mobs. Just, <laughs> and it includes the, the boat that you can disarm oh, to yeah. go faster. Yeah. <laughs> The Enchanter's Guide to Mezes. <laughs> well, Mezes, Mezes were one of the fascinating things about EverQuest because it was it was a crowd control that nobody had ever heard for, heard of before. Uh, so basically, a mesmerize put the mob on lockdown, like a stun or a paralyze or whatever. But as soon as anybody sneezed on it or looked at it funny, it would break the mesmerization. It would come back, come right back to fighting you. So if you had excellent coordination, you could lock down all these mobs with mesmerizes and then you know fight one mob at a time. But if you didn't, <laughs> which was usually the case, you would get overrun by thousands and thousands of mobs. Well, it's also because at that point, you know, you don't have people uh, online really talking to each other a lot. You just got a bunch of dudes trying to chat out things, and when your enchanter's like, okay, I've mezzed four dudes, we've got one guy to fight, and some dude's like, Ice Storm! Yeah. And fucking hits everybody. Yeah, we didn't yeah. really have raid markings or voice chat. <laughs> it was pretty much hit, enter, and type like crazy, so we all got really good at typing. But, right. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I always I always picked up from EverQuest from listening to other people talk about it was that if you ask them for their iconic or favorite game experiences, they they universally sound awful. <laughs> it, it, it's just like it's like uh, tell me what did you like about yeah, EverQuest? I remember yeah. being I remember being at the at the castle in Kunark and about six thousand mobs trained by and killed everyone. It was great. Oh right. yeah, no, there was like when I talk about when I played EverQuest for a very small amount of time, it was what did you do? I was an Ixar monk. What did that look like? I went uh, a small amount outside of the city, and I killed some level 3 scorpions. And then what did you do? I moved slightly farther out and killed some level 5 scorpions, and then went about another 10 feet and killed level 7 scorpions, and continued doing this up to level 20. Right, and I remember reading about this stuff in message boards where people were like, well, new games, new MMOs are for babies. When you were a level 1 EverQuest character, your job was to run from Quenyos to Freeport, and you died every time, 15,000 times, and it took you 8 <laughs> hours, and you got lost in the forest. And I'm like, well, that sounds awful. Why are you describing that to me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and it's, you guys have known me long enough to hear some of my EverQuest horror stories, but there, there was, so, you know, as much as we all bitch about it, there was something magical about it, because you didn't have all the information. So, when, when I first rolled an EverQuest character, I had come straight off playing TIE Fighter. So, when I rolled my character, I didn't give him a fancy, you know, uh, fantasy-type name. I called him Crimson Saber, because that was my handle in TIE Fighter. Keep in mind, I was about 12. Um, so, because my name, my character was named Crimson Saber, I wanted to get him a, a Crimson Caster's robe. He was a wizard. He was a an elf. He was living on an elf island, and everybody had a green robe. Everybody had a green robe. You couldn't go anywhere out. You couldn't get anything out. Like, you had to go kill the 8,000 bats at level 3, 5, 6, 7, you know, and work your way up through hundreds of hours of gameplay before you could go somewhere else and get something done. So I, I decided to walk all the way across the world to the other side to get myself a crimson robe. And I won't tell the whole story here because it's way too long, but suffice to say, I finally made it, got all the way back, spent all my money, spent about 20 hours of my life, and <laughs> the rope didn't even have any different stats. But I was red, <laughs> but nobody, red. and nobody else oh. was red, and that was pretty cool. It was like my my very first character I ever made was a erudite enchanter, and the first thing I did was fall down some stairs and die. That was the very yeah. first thing. I, uh, I, I made a, a character and spent a good five minutes trying to figure out how to talk to the barbarian in front of me who kept prompting me to talk to him. I just was, eventually I typed in slash hail and it turned out that's the trick. 
And I, I got maybe ten more minutes in. I was like, nope, I've played too many modern MMOs. I, I, I'm too programmed for games that work to, to, to go through this. And it's yeah. not this game's fault. I mean, I tried it. This was like last year. So yeah. th- this game is yeah. thousand years old. People are still playing it. And that's awesome. But I, 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 it's like I, I've, my brain pathways are already re- pre-programmed. It's the same way that I couldn't, for example, go learn to speak Russian. <laughs> I'm, I'm too well, you know, old. If you, yeah. If you look at a lot of those those older games, some of those old adventure games, you know, that didn't really have a, a path per se. There was a lot of that element in the original EverQuest. There's a lot of discovery, a lot of, you know, things that weren't just handed to you. Yeah, stuff that's um, impossible which, now. And, yeah, which and, I fucking hate, by the way. Yeah, well, you know, and and some people love that kind of stuff, and some people hate it. Um, and that's. I think it's it's interesting to me that people still clamor for that. Like, if you look at what people are talking about for what they're calling EverQuest Next, which is going to be the third one, uh, people are all saying, "Well, I sure hope it's a game of heavy exploration, and that you can get lost in the woods and find a wizard's tower." And and it's it's interesting to me because that sort of thing. Is impossible now. Well, if yeah. you turn on a new MMO, three hundred thousand players will have mined the data already and know where everything is and know the optimal path. These days, almost every MMO is just a screensaver that you happen to touch buttons during because you already know everything you're supposed to be doing. In EverQuest, for all the stories of how horrible it was and how broken it was and how most of your fun took place of being better at other people at sitting in one spot for six hours, uh, there was an element of not knowing what the fuck that. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and and you think about, I, I think about some of my, you know, the high points of playing EverQuest, and, and it revolves around going somewhere we really shouldn't have been, <laughs> and, and pulling it off anyway. I mean, it, you know, in the original EverQuest, if you ever went to one of the high-end dungeons, you know, the Ruins of Solosek, or, or Lower Guck, I mean, Lower Guck was a, a an infested maze of frog locks. All that had different abilities that would kill you and disrupt you and send you fearing running down the hallway to pull ten more frog locks. Uh, nobody had any maps. The the only maps you had were printed out. I've heard this. Were li- literally hand drawn, you know, MS Paint or whatever, or or literally hand drawn and scanned in and posted up on a couple of original, you know, oh, old yeah. school websites. Alakazam's Magical I was, Realm. I was going to say yeah. Alakazam. I remember, and even then, you'd go to a place. It's not like. You know, you go to one of the WoW insider places now, and you're like, you can find information on everything. I went on to Alakazam and was like, do you have any information on anything in this zone? Uh, one dude uploaded a hand-drawn map for this corner. There's no other information. No one knows dick. And none of the maps were, none of the maps were consistent. I mean, some, you know, some of them were, because it all came from the players, so. It was, I mean, you know, and, but to go into a situation like that with, with, you know, four other players... And work your way through that dungeon step by <laughs> painful, horrible step, controlling so many monsters and trying to beat them and, and getting your way down to, you know, to a place where, where then, as Jeff spoke about, you would sit there for six hours and farm, <laughs> farm the guy who dropped the flowing black silk sash. And... This is my skeleton. No one else killed this skeleton. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, th- there's something about that, 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 that's kind of the romantic element that makes EverQuest worth remembering and talking about is this concept of no one knowing what the fuck. Like, you play World of Warcraft today, and if you're wandering around a forest, you're like, I'm in Teldrassil, this is crazy, what's going on in here? Don't worry, there are 50 people there who are happy to yell at you about what's going on in there. They know, or they'll just tell you the name of one of the five websites that tells you what's going on in there. There is nothing about World of Warcraft that is not 100% known. And the thing is, it's not even the established ones. I mean, you look at something new that comes out, like, you know, Secret World comes out, and everyone goes, oh, this is really interesting, it's got this really intricate... Uh, class system as far as you can use weapons as instead of classes and you've got 
different magic you can do. And eventually, like, before it even comes out, people are like, I math hammered, these are the combos you want to use, these are the way you break the game, this is how you do it. And there's, with data mining, and like you said, there's no real way to surprise players with an MMO anymore. You can't go in and be like, I have no idea where I'm going. Because there's always going to be either something online or some N- NPC that goes, hey, follow this clearly marked trail to yeah. get to your next quest. Well, we were on ta- your map that you can pull up by hitting tab that right. has a little exclamation yeah. mark for exactly where to go. Right. Well, we were talking about how the bard in this book has incorporated uh, stuff that players generated while playing EverQuest. It, it incorporated song twisting, which is not the original intent of EverQuest. That's some shit that someone figured out. Uh, it, what EverQuest really represented that, that was groundbreaking was procedurally generated content. Players, uh, half the stuff in that game was figured out by players trying shit. Yep. They were like, I wonder if this works. Oh, it does. Neat. I've just invented a new part of the gameplay of this game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it, just saying that does it no justice. Because I remember, I remember raiding with high-end guilds, um, uh, you know, during the Scars of Valius expansion and doing ridiculous nonsense. I mean, you know, there were there were areas of the map that were not supposed to be accessed and, you know, if you died in a certain wall, you would fall through the world and get respawned at a certain point and then you could use a <laughs> magician stone to pull a necromancer there. And then if you had your entire party die at the entrance and have a, a stealthy rogue with a certain skill that had the super stealth, he could pull <laughs> everybody's corpse to that necromancer, including the corpse of one cleric who would then get resurrected with the necromancer's soul orb, and then that cleric <laughs> would resurrect your whole party in the middle of this dungeon that you hadn't cleared yet that was supposed to take you, you know, four days worth of, of clearing and grinding and, and fighting to get to, and then go in there and kill the best boss. You know, so it was that kind of, it was almost, it was almost breaking the game, but then, you but know. But that was the well, point, because they didn't really have anything beyond that. That was all that was there when you got to the high levels in that game. Right. Well, people today talk about uh, MMOs in terms of end game content. Right. Because well, they assume that since you're playing the game for a really, really long time, there has to be a lot to do when you're done leveling. This game didn't really have that in mind when they built it. They knew that people would eventually hit max level, but they didn't really know too much about what was going to happen after that, and so it was up to the players to figure it out. And there is something kind of magical about that. I mean, one of the most famous EverQuest stories, uh, one that even someone like me who's never played it knows, is the story of people who tried to kill what is called the Sleeper. The Sleeper. The Sleeper, yeah. which is a dragon that was not designed to die. It, it didn't even have the, the capability of dying. Yeah. And uh, they got into a huge boss fight with it in an attempt to kill it, and eventually what had to happen was that the mods in the game had to come in and manually restart the server. Yeah, to... so basically, yeah. basically what happened is the Scars of Valleys expansion was really cool. It, it unlocked um, this whole server-wide content. It was the first uh, example of so-called instancing, um, where you kind of had this event that happened in on the server, and then it would change the face of that server forever. So there was a server-wide event called Waking the Sleeper, where if you completed these four dungeons and killed these four bosses, then you would wake this uh, ghost dragon called the Sleeper, and the Sleeper was all-powerful, and he was in his own little zone, and he would wake up and kill everyone as a big server-wide event. It was this cool thing that happened. Um, and then he would fuck off and fly away and, and never be back in your server. So... Somebody had, you know, the bright idea to to try to fight him. So they gathered this coalition of guilds um, and set up this insane strategy where they would actually fight him. And I mean, it was it was beyond anything that had anybody had ever seen. I mean, hundreds of players 
with rotations where the the dragon would instantly kill somebody and they had a whole team of players that would drag the corpse back and get instantly rezzed by the cleric epic weapon and they'd run back into the fight. They had all these rotations going and they fought this boss for about nine hours. Uh, for nine hours they chipped away at his health that was only huh. going down. You know, you had to reach a certain DPS threshold and he had something like, you know, 10 million hit points where the strongest boss in the game had 100,000 or something. Um, and they were at it for so long that they attracted the attention of the mods, you know, and uh, eventually they despawned him right before they killed him because n- they didn't know what, what would happen. It well, yeah, no, wasn't they, coded to happen. They were afraid that if they had killed this sleeper, the actual server would get ruined by it. <laughs> and there's just something magical about that kind of a concept, that, that this game actually had a dragon in it that you could kill to break the game. Well, I think that kind of emergent behavior in that game is really interesting because it harkens back to tabletop. It's that kind of, we're using these abilities and we're doing this and in ways they didn't think of to bypass this dungeon. And it's the same way in a tabletop game. You're like, okay, I've got this spell. My buddy's got this magic item. I'm going to go up to this window. We're going to do this. And instead of going through the tower to get to the last boss, I find a way to get everyone up into the room and we're going to fight him then. And the DM goes... Holy shit, I never thought you would even think of that, but good on you, and I'll proceed with the game. So what we're basically saying is that the best way to build an MMO is to give it a buggy, inconsistent dungeon master. Well, yeah. <laughs> what, what we're saying is you need to base it on 3.5, and right. then it'll be buggy and terrible, and it'll be a good MMO. Well, John, I, I love that you made that point, because it really it really ties everything together, and... You know, so much of the charm of, of my kind of formative role-playing experiences with tabletop was... Exactly that was creative problem solving to stuff that didn't make any sense. You know, you're, and at the same time, when you look at you know the mechanics of a role playing group, it's incredibly frustrating for the dungeon master to have spent you know <laughs> oh, three, yeah. three hours writing and designing this entire dungeon to have your guys go. Yeah, instead of climbing up your wizard tower, I'm just going to catapult my guys from the roof of the inn and then pull everybody up with a you know a really long <laughs> magical rope. Uh, so yeah. I don't have to go through the seven floors of monsters and encounters that you've carefully balanced and designed. Uh, but at the same time, so those are some of our best stories. You yeah, know, those, those are some of the most. Yeah, well, that's that's what you tell. You don't tell your friends. So this week, uh, we went through four different rooms and killed some bugbears, and then we got a treasure parcel. You're like, you won't believe the crazy shit Jim pulled this yeah, week. Yeah, the shenanigans that went that led to this. The someone did their physics homework and figured out what portion of the wizard's tower had to be turned to mud to make it fall over. Oh, <laughs> rock to mud. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, that, that, that's an interesting thing about how EverQuest actually worked that way. And this, and th- that's one of the weird things is the emergent behavior in the EverQuest MMO is really, uh, reminiscent of the tabletop, but with the tabletop getting rid of a lot of the spells that let you do that, <laughs> yeah. it became more MMO-ish. What it's we're saying, really weird. What we're saying is that the EverQuest D20 RPG is tabletop wow for babies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, it, in terms, in terms of reviewing these games, you know, we should really speak to, you know, what I play it and stuff like that. And it would be an interesting, it would be an interesting exercise, I think, for a dungeon master of this tabletop EverQuest game to see if he could replicate some of those encounters and situations with his players. Like, can you break this dungeon in half? Can you figure out a way around? Ugh. Can you pull the ghoul assassin all the way to the entrance? I would love... With, with a, a, you know, a bard, a monk, and a rogue. I would love to play, the, to be the DM in a in a realistic version of EverQuest, the the uh, tabletop version, because I, I would just be like, alright guys, sit down at the, t- at the dinner table, that's okay. Everybody seated? Great. I'm gonna go play Soul Calibur. 
<laughs> in five hours, I'll come through and say, a skeleton! <laughs> and then I'll say, oh, but some other guy's got him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, I think one of the interesting things with this really is, like, would I play this? I kind of would like to just see what would happen if you were playing one of these games. Because the other thing is, uh, like I mentioned before, they, they kept all of the teleport spells. So, like, druids can get you to different circles and, uh, the mages can get you to various, uh, continents and whatnot. So it adds, and this is really low level. Like, these are like level three, four spells. So you aren't, like, talking high end things where in D&D, to get a, like, actual teleport spell that would take your party somewhere, you had to be, like, a level 15, 16 wizard anyway. end game, yeah. So, but in this, it's like, alright, I've set my adventure in, you know, this continent, you guys are doing stuff here, your wizard hits, like, level four and goes, you know what, fuck this place, we're out, and decides to teleport everyone somewhere, you go, uh, uh, what do I do? It's true. It's it's interesting because it's based around how the video games had limited amounts of space and also didn't work on a points of light system. The video games worked with, you know, uh, you're in whatever continent, and so that continent has this this neighborhood in it, and you're in that neighborhood, and you've run out of stuff to kill. So you have to go to the next neighborhood. Role-playing games don't work that way. Uh, your, your party clears out a dungeon, the DM just goes, you know what, there was another dungeon next door. A bard sings a tale of how there is a nearby wizard tower. So that kind of low-level teleporting is only really essential in a game where it's possible to clear out an area that you're in. Uh, honestly, that's one of my biggest fears about what, again, when we're talking about would I play this game, one of my biggest fears about this is the same as I have with any fear of any game that's based on a strict license, which is that it's going to be filled with insufferable degrees of references. Where your players, players will be like, well, we're level four, time to teleport to Freeport. Well, well no, because uh, because we actually we have a dungeon. Nope, Freeport, I'm going to stand in a, in a cave and hawk my uh, my mossy sash. I, that's stupid. Dude. Stop, stop telling jokes about it. It's like... And, uh, but, it, you know, it's it's not it's not EverQuest's fault. And I, I'm sad that I can't make that kind of high-end reference. To, I don't know enough about it. Yeah. But if you were playing tabletop, wow, imagine the jokes that you could crack out about how boring it would be. It would be like, well, we finished level 17. I'm going to Westfall. Well, yeah, that's was, the other thing is you'd also have, uh, I mean, maybe not in EverQuest nowadays, but if you had like a WoW tabletop or something like that, you'd have people that would know what the level range for different areas was. Yeah. So if you were like, I want to, I really like, Whatever continent. I want to set an adventure there. And you'd have players go, We can't quest there! That's like ten levels above us! What are you insane, bro? Right. Well, honestly, the big problem you're going to run into with a game like this that's based on another game is that you have to strike this balance of rewarding people's system mastery of another game. <laughs> like, you have to be like, well, let's play EverQuest, the, uh, the the tabletop RPG. It is assumed that Russ knows way more about EverQuest than we do, so his, uh, his gnome enchanter should be better than us. Why? It's a, it's a completely different engine. We're in a dungeon. It doesn't necessarily have to be that we're in lower guck. We're just in some dungeon. It's 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 uh. Well, and to be fair, the enchanter is only as good as the moron rogue that backstabs messed up. <laughs> so you know, I'd still basically be beholden still be, to you. Still be better, but uh, <laughs> uh. But yeah, I mean, we I had that same complaint about the Buffy RPG, which was that my biggest fear about playing it would just be a bunch of people making Buffy jokes. And, and uh, this game, I feel like, would be, ju- just like I would be worried about World of Warcraft, is that since it's a game that's based on another game, people are going to be bringing in game mechanic references. 
And, and that sort of thing really worries me because it's it's not something the game needs. Would I play this? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'd still play the hell out of this. I I I I I, I, I hate third edition with like a fiery, intense passion, but I'll still play it. It's still it, it's one of those things where it's still Dungeons and Dragons and it's still some gaming. And yeah, I'll give it a shot. Uh, but yeah, th- this game in particular, I would try because there's a lot of stuff in there that seems like an improvement. Well, I I would definitely want to try it just because of the level of variety that's there. Like, when you're playing D&D, you know, if you're playing any of the martial classes, you're basically the same as any other martial class. Maybe you've got, you know, I can trip a guy, or maybe I've got the ability to jump real far. Okay, whatever. But you're also just doing full attacks for your five attacks. Who gives a shit? Right, and you've got and a your trip, mage or... in, is, you know, your wizard, your sorcerer, all that. And, of course, your cleric and your paladin, they're all picking the same spells. There's nothing new there. Whereas this is like, you could go through an entire game and be like, I'm an enchanter throughout this entire game, end it and go, okay, now I'm going to be a druid. And instead of it being, I've got basically the same spells, it's, I've got this entirely new list of things to do. Right. It, one of the problems I always ran into with 3rd edition was that wizards basically, they think they have this this infinite toolkit. Where it's like, well, I can do whatever, so I'm the perfect problem solver. And that's and so what you'll find with people who really enjoyed third edition is that they always wanted to play wizards, and it was because they liked this idea that there's always a right spell for every situation, and that they could solve it. And, and it meant that they thought they were playing. And people who enjoy the game in general think that that's not necessarily the, or that that's totally the case, and that fighters only have base attack and they only have trip, and it's not that interesting. But really, when you look at it from a macro scale, and you think wizards think they have all these incredible tools, they don't. They, they figure out one trick that's stupid that the book didn't anticipate. Like, oh, I figured out a way to offensively teleport the sun. Like, <laughs> oh, okay, well, you encounter a dragon. What are you going to do with him? Oh, well, I guess I could shoot damage spells at him or, I don't know, uh, maybe make the rogue invisible. Or, you know what, I'm going to offensively teleport the sun. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you have a, 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 diver, a diverse toolkit, but you really don't. You just have a couple of broken things that you pick every time. And that's that was the major issue with with how third edition was working was it just had shit balance. Well, you also have the uh, the meta magic feats that were abound all over the place in third edition that took the already broken caster classes and made them even more so. Yeah, do exist in this. Yeah, but it doesn't add. There aren't things like maximize, so you don't get your uh, ridiculous straight ability to just increase. yeah straight up kill things. Uh, you you know you get your things like still spell silent spell yeah so you can get rid of some components or whatever uh, and then but did it have extended duration on Sal yes because yes it did uh, for Sal... for everybody that that stands for something of the wolf uh, and it's spirit of spirit wolf spirit no of it's something. not it's of at, the it's, it's spirit, spirit of, wolf. of wolf spirit of yeah. wolf and it's mm-hmm. an important travel spell from EverQuest basically it increased your movement speed yeah and if you didn't have Sal you were very sad. Yeah, there are no mounts in EverQuest, so if a druid wasn't giving you the ability to move faster, you were a slow chump. Unless you were a bard, because bards did everything better than everybody, eventually. (laughs) I mean, once they patched in the fact that, you know, at initial release they only had 17 of their available 50 spells. (laughs) Uh, But that's that's a a whole other... Because bards got a new song every level, but... Only about 17 of them existed at vanilla release. That's fantastic. Uh, okay, so we were asking the question of would you play this game. And and in a perfect world where I could basically count on it not just being a parade of references to what EverQuest was like. Like, honestly, this podcast is a parade of references to what EverQuest was like. That's why we brought Russ in here, so don't don't feel like I'm complaining about that. <laughs> uh, that's what I wanted. 
But that's basically what would happen in the game, too, is we'd sit down to play the game, and the one guy who plays EverQuest would start telling stories about EverQuest. And it, 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 <laughs> I don't even know if I even... I, I could sit down to play this game. I could spend hours crafting my perfect necromancer, and then I would sit down for hours and talk about EverQuest. I, I don't think I'd ever roll a die. I, I think it's one of those kinds of games, because it, it, it's just it calls up a, a kind of shared cultural memory that you want to deal with instead of playing it. It'd be like sitting down to play Rifts. Like, in, in our day and age. Not not our homebrew, yes. fun version of Rifts, but if we had a, an original copy of Kevin Symbieta's Masterpiece and we slapped it on a table and we were like, let's play this! Hey, remember that time? Boom. <laughs> done. That's the game. Yeah. yeah. But at that point, it's almost more of an issue with your players than with the game <laughs> Oh, it's absolutely... Absolutely is more of an issue with our players. I have strong issues with our players. Uh, okay. Especially so, me. Especially you. Okay, so the other thing that we usually talk about during our wrap-up is that we like to list our, our favorite and our least favorite thing about the book. Now, now, Russ, oddly enough, owns this book. Uh, I do. And uh, has you. never cracked it open. I, I don't know well, if that's true. I think he's probably opened it. I gave it to him for Christmas, like, six years ago. With the... It was a booby Christmas gift, basically. Yeah. Because he, he's one of those... He, he had a lot of, kind of, like, addicts' remorse about EverQuest, so... So, so I felt like I was just hiding a cigarette in his house. <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna put this EverQuest in your house, Russ. Little flask of scotch hidden behind the book stand. <laughs> yeah, so, it's in that top tank on the toilet. That's, that's where the EverQuest. That's where I had to find it to review it. Is I had to open up the top tank of his toilet and take it out of a Ziploc bag. <laughs> oh man, you you left EverQuest in the top of his toilet, just giving him an upper decker. <laughs> so, oh. so, uh, so. <laughs> it's not his fault that he hasn't read the book, but what I'm basically getting around to is that, I don't know, if he wants to contribute his best, and actually, I'll tell you what, John and I are going to say what our favorite and least favorite things about the EverQuest tabletop RPG are. Russ is going to tell us the best and worst things about EverQuest. Done. Okay, John, take right. us off. Uh, well, my uh, most favorite thing is going to be the spell list. Like, I, like I've been mentioning, there are, just to give you how extensive this is. The book itself is about 350 pages. 150 of that is devoted to spells. So, more or less half of the book is just spells. Not even, like, talking about casters, just spell lists. And I love the diversity of it. There are a lot of goofy things in there. I mean, there are some things at a level where it's like, I'm a paladin. At this level, I can give 50 HP to one character. Or there's another spell at this level, which is give up to six people 50 HP. I like that there... Which is the one where you can either turn yourself into a werewolf or turn anyone, including yourself, into a werewolf, and they're the same level spell? At level 11, you can get the Boon of the Garu, which lets you turn someone into a werewolf, anyone... Or you can get Illusion Werewolf, which turns you into a werewolf, and only you into a werewolf. <laughs> I love that spell. Okay, so, uh, least favorite thing. Uh, the least favorite thing is definitely gonna be disciplines. I love the idea of disciplines. Uh, the, the fact that they give just, like, ten, eleven really significantly powerful, uh, extraordinarily useful, not quite magical, but mostly magical abilities to... uh, And the hybrids get them, too. Uh, Hybrids got spells and disciplines. But when you're looking at something that's like the Warrior of the Rogue, where that's all you're getting, when it becomes you have, you know, a list of ten different amazing things you can do, pick one. 
Right. It's the same per- choice paralysis you're going to encounter playing 4th edition D&D, which I love, but the biggest issues with it are... Oh, I'm not going to list them all right now because that's not important, but the one that, that's relevant is uh, choice paralysis with dailies. Dailies force you to say, I'm only going to use this power once today, so I better use it at the exact right time, and if I don't use it at the right time, I'm going to feel like a failure, and I have to use them all by the end of the day, because and, and that's a problem, because it, it it's too meta. And this this amplifies that problem yeah, significantly, because you, get you to use have, all your dailies. Yeah, you, you would use all your dailies, and all the dailies are for specific things. Whereas yeah. in this, you'd go, okay, I've got a damage doubler, or I've got something that makes me invulnerable. If I use, say, the damage doubler because we're fighting some big monster, great, that's awesome. Then we get into a hard fight, and I'm about to die, and I go, I didn't need to double my damage last time, but I need to be harder to kill right now, but I can't do it. Right. Okay, so, uh, my favorite thing about the game is the way that they fix the bards. I, I, I raved about it briefly earlier, but didn't really get into why. Bards get mana, just like the other caster classes in this game do. Mm-hmm. All their spells cost one mana. Per round. They're cheap. They can just keep them going. They basically don't ever have to think about their spell mana. Uh, they can twist them and they have a billion spells to choose from. Which means that if you think about the old third edition bard, he had one little performance track. You'd roll performance and you check against things like inspire, courage, and uh, attempting to shut down sonic attacks against the party. And that was about all your singing was good for. They'd really done their best to kind of take it out of the game. In, uh, in this, performance checks are only used to see how good you are at twisting your songs. Which is perfect, because per- that was the only aspect of skill that bards really had to worry about, was twisting their songs. They had to keep that rotation going. So in this game, you make your performance check, and that enables you to twist your two songs or your three songs. And I like that there's a huge variety of songs, and that they actually have interplay between them. Like, if you're casting one song, it becomes easier to twist it with this song. It's it's brilliantly designed. I, I love that. I- I've always been a big bard fan. They're great in 4th edition, they're great in 2nd edition. No, they're not. They're great in fourth edition, and they're great in this book, and that is the end of that. <laughs> My least favorite thing about this book is it borrows pretty liberally from EverQuest, but every once in a while it diverges, and usually it diverges for a good reason. But sometimes it just sticks hardline to the things about EverQuest that would have made it a bad tabletop RPG. Like, for example, orcs, uh, trolls and ogres being basically unplayable. They have to be evil, they have a huge XP penalty and uh, no one's allowed to like them, and it's like, well, okay, why would you put those into your game? Like, normally when you put monster races into your game, you come up with your convoluted excuse for why they're not monster races, for why it's okay to play them, why why Jim always has to play a drow, you know? Why is Jim a drow? (laughs) Well, it's because some drow are good, and they wear heavy-smoked sunglasses so they can go outside during the daytime, whatever, there you go. In this game, it's like, are are you a troll? Okay, you're a gross, slug-eating giant that lives in the swamp. Oh, okay, well, I'm a troll Shadow Knight. Can I join the party? No, they hate you. Uh, why did I roll this? I don't know. Maybe in case everyone was a troll. That's why they're in there. Yeah, so uh, so I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, it's just it, it, it's just weak design. It could have been better if they had just been right. like, all right, to, in, in the interest of making a party that works, you can roll whatever you want to roll and stick them together, and then you're fine. All right, so let's, for the first time, turn to Russ to tell us what the best thing about an ancient video game is. Well, I've been thinking about that as you guys have been talking, and I think I think for me the best thing about the original EverQuest is is just what we've been talking about. These legendary stories of these absolutely ridiculous things that we managed to figure out and pull off uh, despite every single card in the deck being stacked against us. And, you know, figuring out ways to break the system and, and getting stuff done. And, you know, it was uh, it was world firsts before the concept of world firsts existed. Um 
and as a competitive guy, it really appealed to that part of my brain. Uh, the fact that you could be really, really good at this game that was really, really hard. Right. Um, so, and didn't get any Chivos, but you knew. No, yeah, but you knew. Uh, and there was a small kind of, you know, subculture of, of highly competitive EQ players that, that kept track of those things. It was, it was really cool to be a part of that community and, and a part of that, uh, and a part of that history. Uh, in terms of my least favorite thing, I mean, obviously, I, I don't play MMOs anymore. Uh, you know, it's it's a uh, it is kind of an addiction. You're strong, um, man. Keep it strong. <laughs> I am. The, the first step is admitting that I have a problem. Mm-hmm. I'm powerless over the flowing black silk sash. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I mean MMOs. MMOs are uh, are a time sink, and it's uh, I think that aspect of it is probably my my least favorite. Thinking about the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of days of my life that I will never get back, but. That's perfectly fair, and that game in particular was a time sink just because it didn't really have the capacity. I mean, uh, whether it came to programming capacity or literally memory capacity in the game, they just didn't have the tools to put as much stuff as you would need to entertain that many players for that long. So they had to make part of the gameplay be sit there. Yeah. yeah you you know, look at players nowadays, and it's like, oh, I had to take a griffin from one part of the continent to another, and it took ten minutes. That doesn't even happen anymore. All those old flights in World of Warcraft, they've exp- they've dramatically increased the griffin speed. The longest flight is like three minutes now. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That, that, that's, that's where it is for players. And in fact, for a while there in World of Warcraft, people were so now, now, now about their game that it was possible to play Peggle or Tetris or something in-game while you were on flights. They would, oh, yeah. auto- they would automatically start for you. Like, oh, don't stop playing. You don't need to alt-tab. Don't read anything. Just play Peggle. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I can see that. The the concept of what MMOs represent, which is mostly just kind of wheel spinning. Like yeah, oh well you, congratulations, you got the highest level suit of armor. Yeah. Uh here's the next highest well, level and, suit and, of armor. And you know, that's that's kind of why why I still have that nostalgia for EverQuest, because you know, modern day MMOs are really just input output. You you know, you, you go through the stuff. There's you know, unless you get to the very, very high levels of play in something like World of Warcraft where you're doing all this, you know, advanced content, there's really not a lot of skill to it. You no. know, you, you, you put the time in and you get stuff out. Um, and in EverQuest, you could put a whole lot of time in and get absolutely nothing out. So, <laughs> you, you know, part of part of the game was, was maximizing your time and, and, you know, trying to get get stuff done. But, yeah. Fair enough. All right, so uh looks like we're... At a fairly good point to wrap up for the week. Uh, both John and I are currently at a loss about what we're going to review next time. Uh, I still have my Batman role-playing game. That that seems about as good as anything else. Yeah. Uh, also on the table, we can do, uh, if we wanted to keep tugging along on the, uh, the 3.5-esque things, we have the Wheel of Time game. Oh, uh, you guys will have to bring me back for that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, 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 that is another thing. Uh, both John and I have been discussing it, and we're thinking we're going to start trying to add guest interviewers with us uh, because we like to have the extra person and in this case, it was kind of nice having someone who hadn't sat down and intricately read the book so we could talk about <laughs> something else for a little while, yeah. which is which is good. So I think moving forward, we'll probably have guest hosts. We're going to have Russ back more than once, I'm sure. I actually have one more thing that's on the 3.5 train that I really want to get into talking about, which I it's a fan work only, so it's only... Oh. Yeah, uh, I have the Naruto D20... Wow. It's it's several thousand pages. Um, oh my god. Yeah, it's it is it is fascinatingly unreadable. Uh it, it does a really good job, but it's still so some it's obsessive like, fans attempt to categorize Naruto, the the anime about about ninja kids. 
It's like the home stock for tabletop ninjas. Yeah, well, you know, if you like to have people on that didn't read a thing, then that's going to be great, because God knows I'm not going to. <laughs> Come on, man, where's your will of fire? <laughs> Ninpo, too many pages. Ooh. All right, well, uh, as always... Uh, you can catch our uh, podcasts and all of our various reviews and what have you on SystemMasteryPodcast.com, at SystemMastery at Facebook, SystemMastery at gmail.com, or our Twitter handle, which is imaginatively titled System Mastery. So uh, tune in in two weeks for episode whatever uh, for System Mastery. I've been Jeff. I'm John. And Russ. Thanks very much.